Welcome to The Power of Digital Policy, a show that helps digital marketers, online communications directors, and others throughout the organization balance out risks and opportunities created by using digital channels. Here's your host, Christina Podner. Welcome to another episode of The Power of Digital Policy where I bring you subject matter expertise and ideas necessary to create sound digital policy and practices for your organization. Today, I'm happy to have with us Shalini Trefser, who I've known for many years, and we'll be discussing ethics in AI. Since 2016, Shalini has helped over half a dozen emerging AI and data companies expand their enterprise footprint in Switzerland and Europe. She's focused across manufacturing, healthcare, smart grids, energy, and to a lesser extent, financial services. Discussing use cases with business and technical decision makers on leveraging data to create a competitive edge is a regular but exciting part of Shalini's business week. She often serves as a sounding board and negotiating partner for CEOs. Deeply convinced of the power of lifelong learning, Shalini is currently investing in yearly AI-related coursework at MIT. Since the summer of 2019, She's the executive director of the Think Tank World in 2050 of the Global Affairs Media Network Diplomatic Courier. Shalini joins us from Basel, Switzerland, one of the AI hubs of the world, and I can't honestly think of a better person to have with us today as we discuss ethics and AI. So Shalini, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Christina. This is, it's wonderful to be here and to be speaking with you. Um, I must say that I'm not an expert in ethics by any means. However, um, I do work with a number of companies who are deploying AI um, in the solution of problems in several different industry verticals, as well as um, interdisciplinary efforts. So naturally, the topic of what does doing the right thing mean come up comes up quite a lot. Well, I don't know. You know, I, I personally uh, kind of consider you my go-to person. I think it's hard to be an expert <laughs> in uh, in everything AI. And I think certainly ethics is a slice of AI that people can specialize in. But also we have to recognize that it's a new frontier in many different ways. And so it, it's somewhat of a relative term in terms of expert here. But why don't we just dump it, uh, you know, jump right in. Um, you mentioned that uh, obviously you work with incubators, you work with startups in the AI space. Tell us what role, if any, do ethics play right now in that space for businesses? Are folks thinking about ethics? What does that look like? Um, I want to say yes. And uh, essentially, um, I, I just wanted to sort of set the context of, of the kind of work that I'm doing. So, so we, you know, I think that's important because there is certainly a lot of difference between somebody who is pre-funding or very, very early stage, still, still sort of in an ideation phase um, or um, someone that's doing a pilot versus, you know, somebody that's got plenty of uh, training data and they're moving forward into commercialization. So it's, it's a different world just, just by the nature of, of, the work that each of these stages takes. So um, I did work with a lot of early stage companies in the beginning um, who were essentially looking to see how they could solve um, narrow AI problems. So by, by that, I'll offer an example, for instance, let's say that you've noticed um, that there is a problem to be solved for in telemedicine. Um, you're thinking ahead to when cities are getting really huge and um, maybe there's um, a lot of traffic involved in having to go to a doctor and what if that telemedicine doctor could diagnose you uh, for the common cold over the phone just by 
listening to your voice. Is this possible? Is this useful? Um, who, which population groups does it serve? And how can you use AI to, to do something like this? I mean, that, that's just one of the examples of the many different types of problems that I've seen people trying to solve. And um, um, all the way from there to, you know, in my own work has actually shifted quite a lot now to companies that are either established and scaling up um, or in organizations uh, who are not necessarily developing AI based product, um, but who are um, who are convening um, thought leadership as well as as well as uh, uh, who are writing grants um, and and looking to raise funds and money um, to uh, to deploy solutions in uh, to various problems that could involve AI. Your experience, Shalini, ranges from having worked with startups to now working with more established organizations and those looking for grants, many of which have an AI aspect involved in their products or service. Talk to us about the startup arena specifically. Is it a struggle for startups to slow down and consider ethics? You know, usually startups are trying to build out an MVP so that they can get funding. So these two things seem at odds. What's your perspective on that? I think I think that um, it, it really depends on who you are and what your team is capable of, you know, what kind of resources you have access to. Um, I think that there are certain people who are narrow problem solvers, and then there are others who are solving for a wider problem. And I believe that the business world, as well as just the word enablement, are by nature big big problems. They are the big view. So they're they're basically solving for the problem at its at, at the most interconnected level possible. And if you do that, then then all the little decisions and the narrow application decisions will sort themselves out, um, because you've built the right framework. And I think I think some companies are extremely good at doing this. It doesn't mean that you you know your AI has to solve every single problem for every single vertical. That's that's not the point. It's it's more about saying here's the vertical in which I'm solving this problem, but. What is the biggest level of this problem? What does it intersect with? If I'm if I'm increasing the efficiency of a machine, um, what what is the highest level at which I can I can solve for that problem? Can I enable that workforce to learn something and and improve themselves? And can I enable a machine operator to become a data operator? You know, that's just one example. Um, but there's there's certainly um, levels in in setting up framework um, frameworks of thinking and. If if you operate, I think, at a very high level, which means that you look at intersections within your framework, include them already in your work, um, then, then from that point on, you can become very fast. Um, I think it can be a learned skill. Um, some people are extremely good at it just naturally and others aren't. Um, but that's, that's not a reason for uh, people to not be able to practice that and improve their, improve their ability to constantly think at the highest level of the problem. So I love the fact that you're referencing a Swiss report that's a go-to for you personally. It sounds like there's a really good framework um, or at least a perspective that's been put out there for consideration. And if so, do you feel like people are actually using those in the startup or small business context? I know that the European Commission has published its own report on um, in automation on the impacts of automation, AI, and robotics on the economy, as well as um, on topics of the future. So they have that report, for instance, and they've made recommendations for European Union countries. Um, 
Lihuna, I, I don't work that much in the space of AI within the US. Um, where I do see a difference, and I don't know if this is being driven by um, necessarily by any AI specific topic or if it's a cultural thing, but in the US, um, I think that companies which are building algorithms or solving for problems using AI are able to pilot a lot faster um, with new customers and people are willing to try out their technologies and their applications a lot more so than in Europe or in Switzerland. So it's, it's a much more... Um, the, con the, the consideration of impact is done ahead of time here, much more so than in the U.S. So this is one difference. So now what happens as, as a practical consequence of this sort of difference in, in styles is by the time a, um, a, um, an AI solution has come to a pilot in, let's say, Switzerland, a, a lot of these unintended consequences have at least been discussed. They've been considered. They've been given a little bit of airtime or a lot of airtime. And, and people have thought through of how they would like to see a successful, um, a successful um, enablement happen. I don't, I don't see that necessarily being done ahead of time in the U.S. And, and there's a lot of like willingness to, to sort of um, build as you go along. And of course, it makes things a lot more agile. But I find that um, taking a little bit of time to think through the enablement jointly uh, between the provider and the customer is, is just absolutely fantastic for the long term. And, and this is where it gives you an opportunity as well to think about ethics and uh, to think about the social acceptance of your eventual solution. So it gives you, gives you that bit of time to really put those pieces in place. So do you fundamentally think that Swiss companies are at a disadvantage, for example, compared to companies in the U.S. who are focused on AI because they are considering the ethics up front? Or does that sort of net itself out over the lifetime? How does that work in your perspective? No, I don't think they're, I don't think they're at any kind of disadvantage because um, ultimately, if you, if you are in Switzerland and um, building an algorithm for anything, um, your local market is really small. It's eight and a half million. So obviously it's, it's extremely um, uh, likely, not just likely, but I would say it's almost given that um, you will reach out to other markets. So the Swiss have done business like this um, pretty much throughout their entire history. So I think that um, it's no different in the field of AI. Um, and again, here, I mean, this is purely my opinion because I've, I don't have an AI company in Switzerland. But I think that um, th the design process is done very nicely. It's well thought out. And there are a number of um, interdisciplinary experts who are actually available to support uh, the companies in their, in their development um, phases. So it's a, it's a slightly different, it's a very, it's a very well-nurtured environment, I want to say. And I'm not saying that it doesn't, it isn't that way in the U.S., but I do feel like things are a lot more, you know, let's give it a shot, let's break things, let's break it fast and keep moving forward. Um, and you can't really do that in a smaller market. You have to be careful. Um, you've also got your um, reputation to think about. You have limited resources um, because it is a smaller market. And so you have to use them carefully, a lot more carefully than if you had um, the type of venture funding that flows into the U.S. 
You can't see me, but I'm grinning because I'm all about balancing the risk and the opportunities, right? That's really yes. what digital policy is. And yes. I think you've netted that out yes, for us really indeed. well, right? Which is, it's about netting those two things out. And uh, indeed. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because you've got to think too, as a, um, I mean, if, if I were to, if I were to, and I haven't done this research, but here's my speculation is that if I were to follow um, the life cycles of startups um, that are that are building AI solutions here uh, versus let's say in the Silicon Valley and if I followed uh, let's say I took a case if, if I took a pool of 10 startups there and 10 here um, all of which started in the same month of the same year and if I followed their trajectories um, I, I suspect that the Swiss teams and startups and the founders and the co-founders I mean I think that any given startup would have a longer lifespan um, than, than the one that started in the same month at the same time in, in the U.S., for instance. Things are a lot more, um, um, there, there's a lot of transitions in the U.S., and, and I think things are just more fluid than they are in Switzerland. And here, you, you really have to think about who you bring onto your team, um, what your customers want, will the market support you or not. Um, so these are these are considerations you have to be extremely serious about here, and they have long term consequences. So um, if if we tie this back to the whole question of ethics, when you have this um, when you have this sort of push to think before you build or think before you design, um, I think I think that's a conducive environment actually for ethics. So that begs the question, I think, of, you know, is there a point where it's too late for ethics? Is it almost like we've built a six story building and we just realized that we needed to add an elevator? Can we still add the elevator in or we have to? We have to. Right. Well, I mean, maybe you don't have to. Right. I mean, can can you do it? Maybe you can. You say, you know what? You're stuck with stairs uh, to the sixth floor uh, forever. I mean, you know, is it ever too late to build ethics into AI? No, I don't think so. In fact, I think. It should be done from the beginning. Um, it should be done in the thinking phase. And um, it needs to be done as part of the ultimate enablement uh, of a customer. And um, I, I, I think that companies who don't do it will ultimately um, self-destruct um, because I believe that the world itself is, is changing in ways that are going to make unethical applications simply unpopular. Um, so, yeah. You know, and I don't want to. By this, I don't want to imply that you know, if you if you refuse to consider it in the very beginning, you're doomed to failure. I mean, I, I can't predict who's doomed to failure. That's that's nothing I can do. But um, I'm what I'm trying to say is that as a as a society, um, we are we we need to be more and more careful about ensuring that enablement happens. And as a business, we need to ensure this because if we don't, somebody else will do it and they'll do a much better job at it um, and the customer will go to them. So I think, I think that both commercially as well as societally, um, we are in a place now where we must think these things through very carefully before running off and, and deploying a product. So let me come back and ask you the same question again, because I, I think that we've touched upon a really important point, which is, yes, it's important to build in ethics and it's especially important longer term, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because somebody else is going to do it and they're going to do it better than you. And ultimately you're going to lose out. But is there a point where it is too late to build in ethics? If you haven't done it at the beginning or early on in the process, uh, you know, can you do it later on? Is it possible, you know, from your perspective for an AI company 
to not consider ethics as a startup and then build them in after they do a proof of concept? Is it just harder or is it impossible? What are your thoughts on that? I think after a proof of concept, certainly you can. Um, you should be, in fact, set up in such a way that you can pivot on unintended consequences at various stages of your maturity as a company. Um, this is something you just have to do. And, and that's part of the resource outlay you need to plan for to say that, okay, well, here I'm doing my proof of concept or I'm running a pilot or I've even, I've even gone commercial and I'm starting to notice things in the new market that I hadn't prepared for. Um, you, you should be in a position of, of having to adjust to that. Now, um, the, the question comes in in terms of do you have enough resources, uh, access to resources? Uh, because like anything else, um, construction after the fact is expensive and um, it will cost you uh, time as well as money to, to change unless you've built yourself uh, in, a, in a flexible way from the beginning. Um, and can you survive that? And I think this is a question every business needs to ask itself. And um, I also think another thing that I've learned from what I've observed is AI is to many people a buzzword and they a lot of people who would be better off um, not writing algorithms and simply providing a good product as a customer service platform or a customer service platform are out there trying to figure out how they can bring AI into this into this mix and and that always is that that's also a very interesting dilemma because what are you enabling at the end of the day if you can enable without writing um, self learning algorithms then that's what you should do so I think that it again brings us back into this whole question of clarity. So those businesses who haven't thought through their product and have basically built a technology that cannot be modified quickly or or um, opti- or, or or in a in an affordable manner, um, perhaps they haven't thought even the business through very well. So um, they they run whatever risk they run of not being able to continue their business because of that. And I think that's a very real risk. And um, it's not just because of ethics. It's, it's in a number of topics, starting from do you even need um, to deploy any kind of artificial intelligence? From your perspective, you know, what are the things that leaders need to be thinking about? Like, how do they know what they don't know? They might not be really thinking about all of these different aspects of ethics. Or like you said, they might be excited because they have a new concept, but the concept has more than one way of getting realized. What are the things that they should be thinking about or what are the resources in place that they can turn to that you've seen? Is there like a secret checklist out there somewhere? (laughs) Yes, actually, there are a couple of extremely good resources. Um, There's a book called Link, L-I-N-K. And uh, Link is written by Dr. Lorian Pratt. And uh, Dr. Pratt is a 30 plus year practitioner of um, machine learning and one of really one of the pioneers of of, um, the commercial applications of machine learning. And she has written this book about um, essentially about decision intelligence, as well as and it covers a lot of uh, topics around the unintended consequences of artificial intelligence. 
um, I think for, for me as well, this is this is one of the reference books I use. And um, I would recommend that people, you know, use Link. They can read that. It's, it's an extremely readable book. And if, if, if they like, they can also go to her company's website, which is Quantelia, quantelia.com with two L's. Um, and, and there as well, Lorian has a number of links to her blogs, her writing, her, her TED Talks and so on. So I, I, would, I would recommend that as a great resource because she's, um, she's extremely involved in commercializing AI solutions. Um, she has also an academic background, a teaching background, plus a scientific background. So I think, I think she brings all of this together beautifully. And uh, this is something I would encourage business people to, to go educate themselves with. And um, then the other thing is, is as, as a business person, um, start with it. Start with your society's um, standards bodies. So um, I go to this SATW report, for instance, because they have brought together a number of cross-disciplinary policy experts from Switzerland into the writing of this report. So I know that oh, you know there's there's a good perspective here from academia, from government, from from the bodies who are concerning themselves with how to standardize and regulate. So those are the key words I look for. What is the standardization body or bodies, and what are the regulatory body or bodies, and which kinds of reports are they participating in writing? And I pick the report that's the easiest for me to read and comprehend, um, and I use that as a go-to in uh, in my case, um, the report that I mentioned to you, the SATW uh, report on the state of AI in Switzerland, um, this is a good report for me. Um, the EU, as I mentioned, also has has their um, recommendations on AI. Um, and both of those reports, actually, I have access to. I can send you the links and um, you can share them if you like. But, but there are in every country, there are um, bodies of policymaking, um, as well as academia, which concern themselves with defining ethics um, and defining ethics within the field of AI, who are concerning themselves with how to build some manner of standardization around this and how to involve the societal, political and philosophical points of views, um, who are trying to figure out how democracies can adapt to coexist with AI and benefit from it. So these are the bodies of knowledge that I think should be in everyone's toolkit. Um, you can start with your country and then you can expand from there as your own knowledge and comfort grows with, with uh, researching and implementing these topics. And this brings me then to another point, which is a lot of the reason why people don't do this kind of homework is because they can't afford it. And they may be saying to themselves, yeah, okay, fine. If I find out that there happens to be an ethics policy and uh, implementing that will put me out of business, then, you know, what am I going to do with that? The answer to that question, as hard as it is, is take a good look at your business plan. If you are a viable enablement company, if, if, if you really have um, a use for this so-called AI that you're developing, um, then you will attract investment. It's as simple as that. It cannot be that you have an amazing product um, that the industry needs and no one's willing to pay for it. So if no one's willing to pay for it, you need to go back and look at your business plan, not cut ethics out. Um, and it's a very hard message, but I think, I think it's, a, it's a true message. 
That's actually great advice. I think that uh, for me, at least that hits a nail on the head, right? Which is make sure that you understand where the problem is. And I think it drives to another point, which is it sounds like if you do the right thing, you have a good business model, you include ethics into the base of that product or that service that you're developing. It sounds like there's actually really great potential from evaluation perspective. If you actually are looking for a buyout, you're looking to an acquisition, you're setting yourself up for increased profitability. So it's another way of thinking about the problem that is going to get you a good end result or an exit. Definitely. Um, and for that, you know, you can turn to a couple of places um, that I can I can suggest are um, if you look at the world in 2050, it's a think tank of the diplomatic career. And and just for sake of transparency, um, I'm the executive director of that think tank. So, yes, I'm, I've, I've got a stake in what I'm saying here, but I think that it's actually a very useful resource because it lays out seven major categories of problems to, that, that we are solving for in the future. And it, it touches upon the futures of humanity, society, travel, health, um, and uh, off-world civilizations, artistic visions of the future, etc. So it gives you a nice sweep of um, what, what are the sorts of clumps of areas of the future that different people are trying to build? Is my, is, am I solving for a problem like, let's say, in one of those areas? And then go to the WEF, the World Economic Forum, because what they've done is they have this year they have tied, um, they have they have clearly written down the connection between economic stagnation, um, unrest among global publics, and um, climate change. Um, so so you have if you if you follow through with all of the points that are discussed underneath that, you'll see that enablement and ethics are inherently built into the recommendations that they make to businesses for the year 2020 and beyond. So you as a company can use that as, as sort of your basis to say, okay, well, what does ethics look like? Um, you know, what are the different uh, types of thinking around it? How can I integrate that into my business? And how do I sell it forward to my customers? Because all of the arguments that you can make forward um, are can be found within the discourse um, of, of various of corporate leaders and government leaders that the WEF captures in its websites. So the World Economic Forum, it's weforum.org, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and for the um, world in 2050, it's www.cocreate.world. Um, so these are some resources that I can share off the top of my head. Um, but I'm constantly talking to people, you know, as a businesswoman, I'm, I'm talking to people and talking to those that I know are working in the field of ethics, asking them questions, asking them for new research that's come out. How do I tie that into my work? How do I use that to um, create a unique selling point for um, a particular AI product? Um, so this is this is homework that we simply have to do. There's really no two ways around it. Great. Well, thank you so much, Shalini, for taking the time today. We really, really appreciate you being with us. And what a great perspective on business ethics and AI. Um, I'll definitely make sure that we post all of the resources you shared with us and uh, look forward to having you back on and uh, talking about this some more in the future. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And I really wish you the best. And I hope that your podcast um, supports people who are you know, in the middle of the search of how can I use AI to enable value in the world. 
you for joining the power of digital policy. To sign up for our newsletter, get access to policy checklists, detailed information on policies, and other helpful resources, head over to thepowerofdigitalpolicy.com. If you get a moment, please leave a review on iTunes to help your digital colleagues find out about the podcast. 